listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. You know, if you look back at your calendars, we're recording this on January 31st of 2023. And this is just before our sportsman show season here in the Northwest. Things are kind of ramping up in, in uh, the mid uh, part of the country. In fact, it's icing over again. I've been talking to, to people about ice fishing quite a bit the last few days. And, and of course, then there's uh, uh, the, the southeast that is uh, fishing pretty good uh, for, what is this, uh, speckled trout and, and redfish and that sort of thing. So things are starting to pick up a little bit. And, and uh, looking forward to seeing what this season has in store for all of us across the United States and and, and parts beyond. Um, today, we've got a great guest. Uh, we've had him on the podcast. It's been a couple of years, but he's always just a wealth of information. And, you know, if I was to take one person and say, you know, this is, this is a guy that kind of really lives and breathes fishing, it would be Daniel. Uh, he'll share with you today uh, a lot about what's going to be going on in Oregon, Pacific Northwest, in regards to salmon fishing, but then he spends quite a bit of time in Alaska and doing other things also. And uh, he's just a wealth of information. And uh, we're just really pleased to have him on the show today. Daniel St. Laurent, are you there? Yep, I'm here, Ted. Hey, welcome, man. How are you? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing, Ted? You know, I can't, I can't complain too much. At least I'm warm. It was snowing a little bit today here where I'm at, but uh, it's warmed up into the 40s, and so I, I can't complain. I'm uh, kind of looking forward to going out and uh, maybe chasing some fish here in the next couple of weeks. So that's what's keeping me going. But, uh, and, and you're, um, well, you're doing some steelhead fishing right now, kind of waiting around for the salmon fish, fishing coming up here in, a, what, a month, month and a half, something like that? Yep, I will start my spring Chinook salmon fishing the end of March on the Columbia River. So uh, ah. between now and then, I am steelhead fishing uh, out of the Tillamook area along the Oregon coast. Ah, very good. Very good. Well, it will be exciting to, to hear some of those steelhead stories. Now, now, Daniel, you mentioned the springer season. For those people that may not be familiar with the Pacific Northwest and the Columbia uh, drainage and that sort of thing, explain to the listeners the different runs of fish that we get and what we're anticipating this year. So the spring Chinook uh, is kind of our first salmon that we start chasing for the year. Uh, we start chasing them normally in March. Uh, I normally don't start till the end of March when fishing gets good enough where I can go out and catch them daily. Uh-huh. And the, the, the spring run starts in the early spring, but that's the first run of salmon that will be swimming up the Columbia. Uh, mm-hmm. the, a lot of those fish will go clear to Idaho. So they have miles and miles to swim. So we're catching them in the early, early in the spring. But then once the spring Chinook starts to tail off, then we have a summer Chinook run mm-hmm. that goes, that's kind of a May, June, July. And then after that, we'll actually have a fall Chinook run. So we have three different runs of Chinook salmon that swim up the Columbia here in the Pacific Northwest. Right, and and that's a point to to make you just what you said there. That these are all Chinook or King salmon um, that you're fishing. It doesn't include the other runs for cohos and sockeyes and some of the other uh, 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 species of, of fish that come up, right? 
Yes, that's very true. It's, uh, we, we are very, very fortunate on all the different fish runs that we have uh, here in the Northwest. I mean, we can pretty much fish for salmon or steelhead 12 months a year here in the Northwest, Oregon and Washington. As long as you're willing to travel within a few hours uh, from the Portland metro area, there is a salmon or steelhead to catch 12 months a year, which is uh, pretty fortunate. Not that many places can say that in the world. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So in the spring, you said you start off um, on the Columbia. Is that right? Yep, I start fishing uh, on the Columbia. Uh, this year it will be the end of March. I will be fishing on the Columbia uh, out of Westport, uh, Oregon, which is off of Highway 30. As you're on the Oregon side headed down the Columbia River, it's about uh, 20 minutes before you get to the town of Astoria, which is the mouth of the Columbia River. Ah, very good. So, I mean, and just giving, giving people some ideas of where that is, I mean, from the from the Portland downtown area, metro area, that's only, what, maybe an hour and 20-minute drive at most? Yes. It's actually, a, and it's a very easy drive uh, along Highway 30. You're driving along the Columbia River. You're going through some small towns, but it's, it's a very easy drive, but it's a very scenic drive for the people who have never done it. It's a, it's a great uh, drive to make sure you do it in the daylight hours uh, to see everything. Sure. And and that area has a lot of accommodations too, don't they? I mean, you, you get fishermen that will fly in to come and fish with you, and then they'll stay in that area for two or three or four yeah, days. Yeah, so right? there, there's the little little town of Klaskenine. Uh, which is just before Westport, and they have a couple hotels in Klaskenine where the majority of my guests that are fishing on the Columbia River that want to stay close to where we are fishing, they will get one of the hotels right in Klaskenine, and in the morning they have a five- to ten-minute drive to the boat ramp in the mornings. Wow, sweet, sweet. Well, very good. So tell us about the spring Chinook salmon. What, you know, how big are they? You know, uh, uh, how many are they anticipating having come into the sea, uh, into the system this year and that sort of thing? So the average size for like the Columbia and the Willamette spring Chinook are on average eight to 15 pounds. Uh, we definitely get ones 20, 25, even every once in a while we'll see ones that in the low thirties, but on average, they are not the big, they're probably the smallest, uh, Chinook salmon of the year that we catch. Uh-huh. Uh, but they are by far the most prized due to the fact that the oil content and they come in in the spring, they don't spawn until the fall. So they have anywhere from three to six months worth of oil content in them to survive in fresh water and in the streams, basically all summer long to when they spawn in the early fall. Oh, Wow, really? So that's kind of the, the reasoning behind why they're such a great fish. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. runs this, yeah, the runs this year uh, are going to be some of the biggest since 2005. The total spring chinook run for the Columbia River is 307,800, and that is not including multiple rivers that have not even came out with their forecast numbers yet. So there's very likely there's rivers that are not even available. Uh, data yet that will be even higher than that most right. likely right wow that's a that's a big number now how do how does that compare with last year's number La- last year's forecast was just under two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. but the actual return was two hundred and seventy five thousand so I mean they were off by more than seventy five thousand fish last year for the Columbia River run Wow 
So, I mean, there's some buffer there. I mean, they're forecasting the 307, but I mean, if there's any indicator like last year, it could be much larger than that. That's just what the preseason forecast is, is the 307,000. Right, right. And gosh, and salmon was, you know, those springers were around for a long time this last year. We were catching them, yeah, you they, know, even up on the McKinsey at times. And, and uh, you know, they, they were It lasted shape. a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'll be darned. So, so they meet you um, um, at, at the docks. Um, what kind of boat do you fish out of generally, Daniel? I fish out of a custom 28-foot Willys uh, sled, and that's an aluminum boat with an outboard motor. Mm-hmm. And the main technique we use uh, for the spring chinook is trolling, which uh, is a very easy, uh, laid-back uh, way to fish for them. We're trolling bait, which is anywhere from anchovies to herring to uh, prawns. We kind of, depending on the time of the year and what the water temperature is doing. We um, move around with what bait we are using. Very good. And so you're, you're pulling uh, um, uh, flashers and, and that sort of thing with either bait or uh, lures or both behind, behind them. Is that right? Yeah, mainly it will stick to bait when the water on the Willamette warms up later in the year. I will switch to a little bit of hardware, uh, kind of depending on the year. Last year, the water stayed so cold that it was mainly a bait show the whole time I was there. Uh, like I said, I only fish the springers up in the Portland metro area through the end of April or early May before I return down home to Tillamook to start my spring chinook season down here. Right, right. So my understanding then is once they close the Columbia what you you go a, a, a further upriver and start fishing the uh, the Multnomah Channel is that is that right? That that is correct. I uh, spend normally two to four weeks, depending on the year, uh, fishing the Multnomah Channel uh, out of Scapoos Bay, which is uh, about three minutes from the town of St. Helens, Oregon, right off of Highway Thirty. About so forty I, minutes from Portland, fish, something like that. Yeah, that's a very close drive. I have a lot of clients that are from the Portland area that fish with me a lot during that fishery because it's such a nice short drive for everyone in the mornings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very accessible from almost any, well, really anywhere in that metro area up there. And and uh, we're we're fishing out of the same boat. Your boat is remarkable. I mean, it's got every bit of electronics on it that I've ever seen. And then you you even have heated seats on that now, don't you? Uh, the, the new sled that I got last year, I I don't have heated seats on my big power boat. What I went with was suspension seats, oh. which is basically like a trucker seat that you have in a semi truck. Yeah, and it actually has dial it has dials on it that you set your weight to it. And as you're going through wind shock waves, whatever it is, you don't feel a single thing. That seat is moving up and down. So that way there's no, no hard on your back. There's, you don't have feel anything. Most open boats when they hit waves, it's basically your spine. And you're, when you're sitting in your seat, that's compressing and it does not feel good. Right. Yeah. So, Inter- interesting. I, I, I went to these, I went away from the, I, I do have heated seats in my drift boat. Uh-huh. I have heated seats in my small sled, yeah. which I use those boats a lot, basically November through March when it's the colder time of year. Oh, got it. Okay. But I went away from the heated seats in the big power boat just because I fish saltwater about a hundred to 150 days a year. 
It was a nightmare with Ooh. electrolysis and salt water, but I did not have the suspension seats in the old boat. And now I have them. And I think it was a excellent trade-off and all of my normal clients I have fished for years are very appreciative that I went this route compared to the old boat where I just had heated seats. Right, right, but uh, but of course people are staying warm in your in 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 your boat, and you're making sure that everybody's dressed appropriately and uh, um, and, and and that sort of thing. So they're getting really the best of both worlds, aren't they? Yes, it's it's a it's by far one of the most comfortable open guide boats you possibly can have. There wasn't any. Uh, spared costs on anything. I didn't cut corners. I did everything the best possible way so everybody could have the most successful day on the water and the most comfortable day on the water. Very good. So what's the advantage then of fishing the Multnomah Channel versus maybe uh, further upstream for those springers that are coming in that time of year? So the biggest reason why I like fishing the lower end of the Multnomah Channel is at that point in the season, the Columbia River is closed. So you have from the mouth of the Multnomah Channel to Astoria that doesn't have anybody fishing. So you have all these fish that are coming up the Columbia River and then they hit the Multnomah Channel and they haven't seen a hook. They haven't seen a bait. They haven't seen anything. So those fish that are ultra aggressive, are going to bite immediately when they head into that Multnomah Channel. And that makes for some very, very good fishing, especially early in the morning. It's a very common area that the fish that moved in overnight will be throughout the lower five miles of the Multnomah Channel. And if you're in the right spot in the morning, it can be some extremely good fishing. Really? Wow. And then when you say that you're using bait, is that herring or eggs or what what are you using? Uh, I mainly am trolling with anchovies and herring. Uh-huh. And then in the Multnomah Channel, I will switch to prawns once the water warms up just a little bit. Normally, I like the water at least 50 degrees before I switch over to prawns. But that's another one that can be very, very uh, good on certain years. I mean, it's it's all what the water temperature is doing. That's the biggest factor in the spring chinook fishing. Right, right. And, and when people book a trip with you, Daniel, how... How long can they expect to be on the water fishing that day? Normally, it's an eight to nine hour day on the water. The wow. spring chinook fishery, uh, there's some days that I will even stretch that out longer, depending on how fishing is. Uh-huh. Uh, there's days where it's fishing slow in the mornings, and then it picks up in the afternoons. Uh, so there's days that I end up spending longer. There are days where you just hit it first thing in the morning, and you're knocking them dead, and it's a shorter day. Right. But... Um, a normal day, day in and day out, an eight to nine hour day on the water. Yeah. Okay. Oh well. Well, that makes sense. And and what's the limit this in twenty twenty three, or have they said the a limit? Columbia River will? Yeah, the Columbia River will be uh, one fish per person limit, which uh, that's pretty much the normal. Uh, that's what it's been for years and years. Has to be a hatchery fish. Uh, never can keep a wild spring chinook on the Columbia Willamette system. Oh really? Okay. Uh, the Willamette. The Willamette system will have a two hatchery fish per person uh, per day, uh, which is pretty much been their normal limit. But I even explained to my customers with the spring chinook fishery, mm-hmm. if you get one fish per person in the boat on any day, anywhere in the Pacific Northwest, that is a good day of spring chinook fishing. Oh, yeah. So I always try to, I always try to think, yes, I want to limit out every day and catch every last fish, but I, I don't want to paint a picture that's not reality. 
I understand. And and those fish are theoretically worth their weight in gold. You and I were talking just before we started here, and uh, I remember last year seeing in some of the seafood cases around the area here in Oregon, they were asking $75 a pound for that stuff. I mean, that uh, that's, that's an amazing fish. Yes, if you start calculating that out, I mean, one fish is in a very expensive fish. I mean, just say one fish that's 10 pounds at just $50 a pound, I mean, you can start calculating that out, that these fish are very valuable, uh, to say the least, and by far far the prized fish of the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah, and the table fare is just amazing, isn't it? I mean, like like you were saying, the oil content is up, and it just makes it a more flavorful fish than than if if there is a regular Chinook salmon, but, but, um, you know, it, it does provide better table fare. Yes, it, it it is flat out amazing. I'm not much of a fish eater, believe it or not, but no, I have grown really? up eating. I, I have grown up eating a lot of fish uh, as a child, and the the flavor in a spring snook. I have been very fortunate, and I've got to travel all around the Pacific Northwest, all over Alaska. I've got to try fish from just about everywhere, and I have yet to find something that has the flavor and oil content as a Columbia, Willamette, Coastal, Spring Chinook here in Oregon, Washington. Wow. Now, now how do you usually prepare um, uh, uh, and, and cook a fish if, if you decide to have fish? When like I, I normally only eat a two or three pieces of Spring Chinook a year. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's kind of my, those are my few pieces of fish I eat for the year. But right. when I do cook that, I love barbecuing the Spring mm-hmm. Chinook. You don't hardly have to do anything to it. You don't have to put seasoning on it. You don't have to put oils on it. There's enough flavor in the fish. If you just barbecue it just the way it is, yeah. it will be the best tasting piece of fish that you'll ever have in your whole life. You wow. don't need to doctor it up. You don't need to do anything to it. Uh-huh. It's amazing the oil content that's in the fish and the oil that pours out of the fish as you're cooking it. Right, right. Wow, amazing. Um, and and then in the areas where you're, you're, you're fishing, there isn't a lot of bank fishing going on, is there? I mean, there's spots where you can go plunk or something, but um, with with the way the, the, the river is set up and the uh, just the immense size of the river and the water coming through, I mean, it, 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 it's tough unless you're up in some of the tributaries to really do any bank fishing for springers, isn't it? Yes, that's very true. It's mainly a boat show on the Columbia and the Willamette, and then even in Tillamook here when I'm out in the bay and ocean, it's uh, mainly a boat show this time of year. Uh, you have to get into some pretty small tributaries uh, before you can really have bank access for the spring chinook fishery. Right, right. And, you know, there's not a better person to go out on the on the water with than uh, like yourself or, or, uh, or, or, you know, any of the – uh, seasoned guides out there because you guys know where the fish are, what's working. Uh, you know, you're, you're going back over a couple, three weeks of, uh, you know, your experiences on the water and, you know, I mean, trying to go out there as a, as a person with your own boat, you know, only maybe once or twice during the season. I mean, you're playing a guessing game that whole time. Are you not? Yes. The, the spring Chinook, are they're the most prized fish of the Northwest, but they are also the most difficult to catch in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, hands down, there's nothing else that comes close. So uh-huh. being on the 
being on the water seven days a week all season long is a drastic help to being successful every day. We, we can start to pattern things. We know where to be on certain parts of tides. Uh, it drastically helps w- when you're going out with somebody that's uh, fishing on a regular basis compared to somebody that's fishing once or twice a week or once or twice every few weeks. Right. It is drastically hard to know where to be and when to be and what's going on if you're not out there every day. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So what, what makes you, de- you know, decide, uh, you know, how you're going to rig the poles for the next day and, and uh, what kind of hardware you're going to be using from day to day based on what you're seeing out there? A lot of the spring snook fishery is water temperature. So uh, I, I know kind of can look at my water temperature gauge to know if I should be using bait, if I should be using hardware, where the fish are running, if it's warm water, uh, cold water, uh, the water temperature plays a bigger factor in the spring than I think in any other time of the year. Uh, so I watch the water temperature. Water flow is another thing, like on the Columbia, early in the season when we're starting at the end of March, early April. Is it a huge water runoff year or is it a light runoff, runoff year? So that really determines how and where we fish depending on what the water flow is doing, mm-hmm. which also is water temperature. Right, right. And and pivoting on to the the next season, the summer season, you I think you do a little of that, do you not? But you kind of take a break in there um, to do some yeah. fishing in Alaska or something, don't you? Yep. So I will uh, come home normally early May and start my spring Chinook uh, season in Tillamook Bay and the ocean normally early May. And I normally fish through about the 15th to 20th of June. Okay. And then normally around the 20th to 25th of June every year, I head to Bristol Bay, which is in Alaska. And I commercial sockeye fish for three or four weeks each year. And I've been doing that for I don't know, 15, 16 years now. Really? No kidding. So uh, that that's something that I really look forward to each year. kind of gives me a break from the guiding thing. I've been with the same guys for multiple years now. It's a fun, uh, I think it's relaxing, but I mean, realistically, we have lots of 15 to 20 hour days, but right. it gives me a break, gives me a break from the guiding. I absolutely look forward to it every year. I, I, couldn't imagine not doing it. I mean, the fish runs up there too have been record breaking for years. It's a extremely well managed fishery in Bristol Bay yeah. for the sockeye salmon. Uh, I mean, any, anybody can go look into it and they can see how it's managed. And uh, I know gillnets down here in Oregon and Washington are a big deal, and they, there's lots of talk, and everybody hates gillnetters. But if fisheries are managed correctly, gillnets are not a bad thing. Yeah. Interesting. Now you mentioned that you uh, go go home, if you may, or to Tillamook to fish before um, you know seven, uh, the, the 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 summer jaunt up to Alaska. Um, but for those that have not fished the Tillamook Bay area, or even on the on the outside of the bay and in, in the Pacific Ocean, uh, that's a that's a different type of water in there, isn't it? I mean, you've got lots of estuaries and and channels that you fish at least the experiences that I've had up there. And, and it's a, it's very interesting to me that, you know, the, the areas and where you fish in Tillamook Bay. Yes. It's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very selective areas. I mean, you better have them channeled on your GPS you will run aground very easily mm-hmm. in the springtime. It's not a, it's not a fishery where there's a lot of people. Uh, 
I have lots of days in the spring that on a busy day, I might see five or 10 boats on a non-busy day. I might only see one or two boats. So unlike the fall that can be much busier in the Tillamook area, the springtime is pretty relaxed, pretty quiet with people, but Mm -hmm. the fish runs are very good. I mean, last year's spring run down here in Tillamook, I overall for the whole season, if you want to compare to Columbia, the Willamette and Tillamook, Tillamook blew everything right out of the water. I mean, we, we did have, we had more days of full boat limits in the Tillamook area than anywhere else. I had days that I even was done very early in the mornings with a full boat limit of fish. I mean, the runs last year were very good and they don't really do forecasts down here in Tillamook. So all we really have to go off of is the Columbia Willamette stuff. But if that's any indicator that Tillamook will again be very, very good this coming spring. Wow. And then you sneak out on the outside at times to go rock fishing and fish for lingcod and and that sort of thing too when you're doing that, right? Yes. When the weather allows, I mean, certain years we get lots of days, certain years we only get a few days, but when the weather allows, we have some just extraordinary rockfish, uh, lingcod, sea bass, a large variety of different bottom fish, anywhere from 5 to 15 miles uh, up and down the coast coming out of Garibaldi. Oh, I'll be darned. Wow. Wow. And now, do you, do you get any halibut in that water? I do get a few halibut from year to year. Uh, yeah. Last spring, I didn't. Last fall, I got one uh-huh. uh, when I was fall fishing, fishing just on the outside. Right. There's been multiple multitude of different springs that I have got them while either salmon fishing or bottom fishing. It's uh, kind of crazy. You wouldn't think trolling for salmon, you catch halibut, but I've probably done it 10 or 15 times in my life now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's not the halibut will chase a herring trolled in the ocean. Uh, I have no idea why, but they it's uh, once or twice would be just a fluke, but I have done it so many times now where there's something to it. If you're in the area and a halibut's in the area and he's hungry, he's going to grab your herring. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I've actually had that happen up in Southeast Alaska a couple different times, you know, when, uh, uh, uh you know, just trolling a, a herring or, uh, you know, some other type of bait. And all of a sudden you get something on the end of your line you go, that's no salmon. And you know, <laughs> yep. it's a lot of fun, you know, and seeing what you got, but, uh, it, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy experience. And then, and then you get a lot of lingcod there too. Yes. Yeah, our lingcod fishing here, uh, in Oregon, off the Oregon coast is exceptional. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get two lingcod per person per day. Uh, they have to be bigger than 23 inches. Okay. Uh, which is very, very small. I yeah, mean, I was going to say that's not a very big fish. Yeah. It, if I have to take a tape measure out and measure it, I'm not going to measure it. Right. So, right. I mean, I'm not going to keep those little tiny ones because if you just put your time in, you'll catch ones much larger than that. Mm-hmm. On average, the majority of the ones that we are harvesting are between 8 and 15 pounds. And those are by far the best eating lingcod. We will catch some of those giant, giant, I mean, 25 to 40 pounders. Uh-huh. We try not to keep any of those. Those are normally the big females. females yeah. We want it. You want to keep those out there so we can have fish for the future. Right, right. And for those that um, are not familiar with a lingcod, a uh, lingcod is uh, best described as a pretty ugly fish, isn't it? I mean, it, it looks gruesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, te- the teeth they have, I mean, there's some pretty ferocious teeth. 
and they are by far one of the uglier looking fish, but they are fantastic eating. I have clients that uh, fish with me enough that when the ocean allows, they don't even really care about going salmon fishing. Right. They would much rather go out bottom fishing for the day and just scrap the salmon and concentrate and try to get their sea bass, lingcod. Yep. And if we have time for an hour or two, we might salmon fish. But I have many clients that fish salmon with me a lot throughout the year uh-huh. that when the ocean allows, they will take full advantage of the bottom fishing just because you don't always get that chance to go bottom fishing. You can pretty much always go salmon fishing here yes. in the Northwest. Yeah. So, yeah, so true. And those lingcod, I mean, it's really unique. They can be white meated. They can be what blue or green meated. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Blue, green, uh, white. Uh, but the crazy thing is those ones that are different colors, when you cook the meat, it all turns white. Yep. Yep. So uh, e- even though they might come out a translucent color and that's the only reason they do that is their diet. Certain oh. lingcods are eating, they're, they're a bottom fish. Okay, so right, each, right. Depending on where they're living and what they're eating, that's what turns their meat color, different uh, colors. Ah, very good. Very good. And and now Tillamook, Tillamook is what, maybe an hour and a half from Portland? Maybe a little longer? Yep, about an hour and a half, a very easy drive. You take Highway 26 uh, uh, over to Highway 6, and then you come right into Tillamook, or you can uh, come down up or down the Oregon coast too on highway 101, which is our highway that goes up and down the Oregon and Washington coast. Right. Right. And of course, Tillamook is uh, one of the, of the larger uh, coastal cities uh, in the state of Oregon. And there's plenty of places to stay and there's um, uh, entertainment. They got the Tillamook cheese factory. They got everything there, man. I mean, to spend three or four days, you could, you could uh, easily fish three or four days and then do some other things too. Yes, Tillamook's an extremely fun little area. There's lots to do, you, and not too far. You can go up and down the beach. There's little little towns up and down the beach from Tillamook. You can go down and be on the ocean beach and walking on the sand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's an extremely cool area. There's even uh, a lot of my clients stay in the Harbor View Inn, which is right at the port of Garibaldi. So oh, they uh-huh. get, get up in the morning. They don't even have to start their car. They walk out their door, walk into the boat, and we're off fishing. <laughs> that sounds that sounds perfect, man. And uh, and you do that through what uh, the end of June, something like that. Is that when you're there? Yeah, I normally fish for the spring season through about the twentieth of June. Okay, so all of May and the first fifteen to twenty days of June before I head back up to Alaska. Got it. Got it. And then you go to Alaska and you turn right back around and you're after the fall fish at that point, right? Yep. I'll come back normally about the 20th to 23rd of July and I will immediately start ocean salmon fishing right out of Garibaldi or the mouth of the Columbia out of Hammond. Uh huh. And I will do that ocean fishing through normally about mid-August and then I will spend the last half of August fishing out of Astoria buoy 10 salmon, which is by far the most renowned salmon fishery we have here in the Pacific Northwest with the volume of fish that come back there every year. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a historical point, uh, the fish, if you're, you're a fisherman and buoy 10 is, uh, you know, not, not too far away in, in regards to the drive from Portland, but also from the marinas that you have access to it. And, um, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy when the fish are, are biting at buoy 10, it, it's, um, it, it's something else to see, isn't it? 
Yes, that's uh, a renowned uh, fishery, to say the least. Uh, we could do a show on that, but could last hours <laughs> fishing, <laughs> talking buoy ten fishing. That's and we'll definitely have to do one once we get our forecasts for our twenty twenty three. Absolutely, we have not received we have not received our coho and king fall numbers yet. We should see them here within the next couple of weeks. Ah, very good. So I got, so what got you into being such a a a um, uh, an, an active person in the industry and in, in, in being a guide and doing all the things that you're doing. I mean, has this been something that's been part of you forever or did something happen and you go, you know, I'm going to do this now. Uh, I, I got into fishing when I was extremely young. My dad uh, was, loved fishing. He was not a, a fishing guide. He was in the timber industry, but uh-huh. he on, his hobby was fishing, uh, and he got me into it when I was actually still in diapers. He would really? change diapers on the bow of his yellow drift boat, <laughs> and uh, that's the age that I started fishing. And wow. I grew up fishing the Southwest Washington rivers, Lewis, Cowlitz, Kalama, right. and I just absolutely fell in love with it. Uh-huh. I uh, couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do this be a full-time fishing guide when I was extremely young Uh and it was just a matter of what path was I going to take to make sure that this happens. Right. Right. So I I was very fortunate. I got uh, into some commercial fishing, which was uh, a great way to get sea time and money built up to where I am a fishing guide today with a business that paid for. And, uh, it's a very enjoyable business at this point. Well, it's treated you very well is my understanding. And you were telling me earlier about, um, you know, your home there in Tillamook, you actually will take people back to your, your house and you've got fish processing and all the, all the good things there to, um, uh, make the day complete for people. Don't you? Yes. When I'm fishing in Tillamook County, my process is I come back to my shop, which is next to my house that I had built and I have full fish processing, flame, commercial vacuum packer, commercial ice machine, uh, commercial crab cooking. I do everything right here at my house. So when my customers leave, they have all of their fish processed, vacuum packed, crab is cooked, clean, everything's on ice. Uh, It's nice for the customers that they don't have to go and deal with all of that in their own, like probably 90-some percent of the fishing guides clean your fish, but now you have to go home with a fish in a bag and now you have to go home and deal with it. Same thing with crab. So it kind of sets you apart from the average fishing guy. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. That, that is really cool. That is that. And, and, uh, what a great, I mean, cause you're going to get home if you're driving back to Portland or wherever you're going and, and you're going to be tired and everything is already done for you, except for maybe just putting a, you know, a, a few packages in the refrigerator and put the rest in the freezer and, and, uh, you can uh, go relax. Yes, it, it's extremely nice for the customers. It, uh, I have uh, have a lot of clients that have fished with a lot of fishing guides through the years, and once they come fishing and they see this process, uh, th- they definitely will be repeat customers because they don't have to do anything. It's just yeah. uh, uh, added benefit of fishing with me, and there's a few other Tillamook fishing guides that do the same thing. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I got the idea is. I have a couple mentor fishing guides in the Tillamook area that yeah. are do the exact same thing. And that's how I got to where I'm at with everything is through them. Right. Right. Oh, that's cool, man. Uh, that, that is, that is cool. 
Well, Daniel, I want to thank you for being our guest yet again on the Fish on Ted podcast. You're always welcome here, and, and it's fun to hear about you know, your adventures and, and what your, uh, your plans are for the year, and then all of the great data that you always have in regards to fish counts and that sort of thing. Um, you know, being as prepared as you are and with the equipment that you have and the experiences that you have, you, your calendar fills up pretty quick, doesn't it? Yes, I have many dates that will actually fill up within a year in advance, but there's always the dates that uh, are here and there, and for whatever reason, I can't book. So I normally always have a handful of dates throughout the season that uh, will be open here or there or cancellation. So it's never a bad idea to check in if you're looking to go fishing. And if I can't help you, I normally have a few other people that I uh, know that could be open, and I will always do my best to help everyone out. Sure. So, and, and, uh, you prefer to have people contact you by giving you a call or email or, or what's the best way to reach you? Uh, I'm, I'm really easy to reach uh, text message, phone call, email. Uh, my, my cell phone number is 503-440-5188. And my email address is just my last name, St. Lawrence GS at gmail.com. And GS stands for Guide Service. That's the name of the, the company, St. Laurent Guide Service, correct? Yep, that is correct. Very good. And, and uh, you're easily found on the net. And, and uh, uh, it, it's cool that you've got some spots left. Um, but I would imagine that they're going to start booking up pretty quickly as people are thinking about uh, their fishing trips coming up um, um, th- this next year, if you're uh, looking to, to do a uh, salmon fishing trip in the Northwest, I'm sure Daniel can give you all of the information, the links you need to um, handle your accommodations and, and that sort of thing once you get here. And, you know, you are the, just a consummate host, Daniel, and we uh, uh, just really appreciate all the, the good work that you do. Thank you very much for having me tonight, Ted. Well, thank you, Daniel. You take care. Tight lines, my friend. And uh, looking forward to uh, connecting with you as this year goes on.